0: Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. So good to see you. So thankful you're here today. We're uh, finishing uh, Hebrews up, at least for this section. We're going to come back to it again next year. But as you well know, We're about to enter a few weeks of celebration together as we approach not only Thanksgiving this week, but Christmas is coming. And it's really a good time for you to begin inviting your friends and neighbors. This is typically the kind of time of of year that people might uh, grace these doors. You know, People that might not normally come to church uh, will give it a whirl around Christmas time. And so we're going to do something special for them and for you over the holiday season. So we're wrapping up. Uh, at least this section of Hebrews today, in a series we've been calling Jesus is Greater. And again this week, we're going to see the greatness of Christ on display. Let me remind you of our theme verse for the the whole series, which is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, where it says, This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, that just as the name God gave Him is greater than their names. That's a recurring theme throughout the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is greater than you ever imagined. He's greater than a lot of the things you've been putting your trust and hope in. He's far better than them. And all of these things we've been covering, he is perfect in all the ways that those things are imperfect. And again, this week, maybe, maybe the most clear one of all of how Jesus is the perfect priest, the perfect mediator, uh, is, is even more obvious than, than previous weeks. Today, as we're looking at chapter 5, verses 1 through 10 of Hebrews, we've called this one a greater priest or a greater high priest. And what we've learned about Jesus is he's covered a lot of details already that maybe they don't all speak to you, but some of them do, I bet. But they all would have really hit the 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 Jewish believers very hard they would have really ringed true for them he said Jesus is greater than the angels Jesus is greater than Moses he's greater than Joshua he's greater than the sabbath he's greater than the law he's he's a greater point of access we can pass into the holy of holies now and now this week he's the greatest high priest greater than Aaron the original high priest so It's just unpacking over time just how much we need to depend on our Savior and nothing else. That where our trust belongs is right there with our Savior Jesus. And so I've noticed something, at least in my own life, and I I can almost guarantee it's true for you, that there are lots of times where you wish you could have what the Bible calls a mediator. What you wish you could have is someone to go... In between you and some obstacle, or in between, or or go in your place even to do a thing that you're afraid of. I I know we all face this in some way. This this I've noticed something that more and more it seems like we are a, a DIY culture, if you will, a do-it-yourself culture. And, and you can just about find any sort of project on YouTube. It's amazing. I will Google that. I will look something up and go. This is so abstract. No way anybody's posted it. Sure enough, there'll be ten videos of somebody fixing something I can't figure out. It's amazing. But I've also realized that no matter how many times I watch some of these videos, I either lack the skill set or I lack the right tools to do some of these projects. Uh, Last year, I I, I remodeled my kitchen and some of it was professional, some of it was me. The professional stuff looks good. The stuff I did, I don't want to look at. Uh, It's just It's the nature of what I've done to myself here. Yeah, I saved a buck or two, but I'm not sure it was worth it because at the end of the day, I'm a preacher. Uh, I'm okay at it. I love to study His Word. I love to preach. I think I'm getting better. However, I'm terrible with cars. I wish I was better, but I don't know what I'm doing under the hood. I'm okay with woodwork, but I make mistakes. I end up having to buy stuff twice as much because I cut it wrong. And that's what I'm dealing with. And there's times where I say, and maybe you've heard it said, I need an adult. There's just times in my life where I want to say, I need an adult. I want someone, because I, I still feel like a kid inside sometimes. And maybe you've already reached the point where you're like, well, there's no, more, more, no one more adultier than me. So I guess I'm stuck. I'm the adult at this point. But I've still got elders and people who know things. And so I can still say, I need an adult. I need an expert. I need someone to go do this thing. More and more, I want to do less and less of the things I hate. So that's just kind of been my policy this year. If I ever do something like this again, just so you know, it'll never happen again. I'm never remodeling a kitchen again. I won't. I'll pay somebody to do it. So this idea of a mediator, a go-between, is a theme throughout Scripture. And I really feel... I feel often the way Job felt. Listen to how Job cried out this need he felt that I feel so often. In Job 9, he says, If only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together, the mediator could, could make God stop beating me, and I would no longer live in terror of his punishment, then I could speak to him without fear, because I cannot do that in my own strength. Maybe you feel that to some degree. I know that's kind of a dangerous thing to say at church, but do you feel like sometimes God's got his thumb on you? Like you kind of feel like, I don't know, things are going wrong in my life. Not everything's shaping up. Maybe you feel as Job felt, I wish there was somebody who could go between us. And here's the great news. There is now. There, there is. The, the writers of most of the scriptures didn't know this, but towards the end, they started to realize, hey, we've got this savior now. We've got a mediator who has changed everything. We used to have a, somebody that we called the high priest that could stand between us and God, but they were imperfect at it because they're just human and they sin just like you and I. They make mistakes and they're not always as gentle with the people as they should be. They're not always as kind to me as Christ is. He can do this thing perfectly. Do you ever feel like Job? I would just wish there was someone who could bring me together with God. Well, you have it. All of this was meant to foreshadow Job, the Old Testament. The the idea of the high priest, all of it was meant to point to Jesus. And now we understand it full well. That's where we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 5 today. The author here helps the background believers understand why Jesus is the greatest high priest. And we can understand this too. I think the text is going to give us three really clear reasons why Jesus is the greater high priest. Let's read chapter 5 verse 1 through 10. just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. He also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now that one's a new one. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Now, as I already know, there's a couple of question marks you have of this text. One being, who in the world is Melchizedek? We're going to get into that. Don't you worry, baby ducks. We're going to deal with it. Three reasons why Jesus is the greater high priest. Here's the first one. Really, verses 1 through 4 outline this for us. And that is, he better fulfills the personal requirement. He better fulfills the personal requirement. Here are the requirements as outlined right there in verses 1 through 4. He has to be chosen from among the people. He has to be a man chosen from among them who can offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. God said, check. He did this thing, this amazing thing called the incarnation. God became flesh. What an amazing step. Sent his son, Jesus to walk with us, that he could be appointed in our place to bring sacrifices in our place. Check. Also, number two, he can deal gently with us. This is amazing. <laughs> because any other priest you've ever met, including any other pastor you've ever any other Christian you've ever ever met, they don't always deal gently. Why? Because look in the mirror, my friends. Do you always deal gently with people? Do you deal gently with yourself? Sometimes, and these high priests of old, some of them did a good job of it, but not all the time. I'm not always as compassionate as I'd like to be. I feel like I'm growing in this area, but I've got a long ways to go. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. None can do that like Jesus. I have a hard time overlooking your flaws. I have a hard time overlooking my own. It's no offense to you. If you continue to fall over on the same stump, every day you walk in the building and you've tripped over the same exact route, I'm going to laugh at you because I'm a sinful man. <laughs> I'm, the first time, the first three times, I might say, oh, that's terrible. I'm sorry that you keep stumbling. But you do it the fourth, the fifth. You do it the thirtieth time. I'm going to go, well, you're a fool. And so am I. That's what I say in the mirror sometimes when I've done the exact same thing for the thousandth time. I'm like, are you kidding me? But Jesus isn't this way. He deals gently. What does this mean now that he's the high priest? What does this mean that he's chosen among the people, appointed as verse 1, to offer gifts and sacrifices? I want to show you a couple of things really quick. I, I don't want to overwhelm you with charts and stuff today. But there's some things here that are hard to define without a little bit of imagery. So there's a lot of offerings, just so you know. This is why the book of Leviticus is a very challenging read. Is because it's outlining so much of what it means to follow the law of God. And so there's a whole lot of things that, there's, that the high priest is meant to offer to God. There's, there's basically something to bring for every type of uh, sin or worship, or there's all these varieties of offerings that the people are meant to bring. The high priest had a, a busy job, very busy man, making sacrifices. It's, he's borderline a butcher at times. He's he's got to break parts of the animal up in a correct way to offer it before God and go in before the mercy seat. and There's a lot of law, a lot of things to deal with. And those men, if you go back and read, did that very imperfectly. A lot of them made really major mistakes on this, and God judged a lot of them for this. This next piece, there's, there's all these sacrifices for sin. Pop this chart up. Look at just... Look at the amount of things they're supposed to bring. I know this is a little bit small, but just just the calculations of the the seven days coming up into what what they called Sukkoth. They had at least 182 sacrifices that week of different things. That's just one week of the year. It was a demanding job that they were imperfect at doing. And more than that, hear me, more than that, the sacrifices themselves were merely an IOU. Because a bull or an ox or a dove or whatever it is they were working on, a bread offering, a grain offering, all of these things are not enough to pay for you and I and our sin. They're not. They're just placeholders. They're IOUs. These things are pointing to the eventual lamb. The lamb you bring now is just an animal. But it's meant for you to look up and say, God, I know you will provide. God, I know that your Messiah is coming. This is the right attitude of the Old Testament. Now, having the New Testament, having Christ, we look at that and go, we already have the one who has not only become our high priest to bring the sacrifice on our behalf, which was the the nature of it, but he brings himself. He does something more. He offers himself for us now. And so when we come to this high priest, we're not merely saying... All right, bring my sins in there to the mercy seat. We're coming to him face to face saying, I know you have saved me and set me free. I repent again. I lay it at your feet. Heal me, Jesus. I get to go straight to the source. I have a greater mediator who now stands in the gap between me and this God that Job felt. Job felt he was pressing in on him. But now we have this Jesus who makes us just and makes us righteous. Look at his qualifications. Chosen among men, gently. And then this third one. This third one's the one that flat out men just couldn't do. Look at verse 3. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins. Here's what I know with utter confidence. There was never a man who was sinless other than Jesus. Never. And there was certainly never a high priest who was sinless. So right at the same time where... Let's say Brother Joe comes in to, to offer sacrifice. I have to tell him, all right, put a pause on yours, buddy, Roe, because I'm not even right right now. I've got, a, I've got a big thing, and when the high priest messed up, boy, he had, quite a, he had quite a task ahead of him to make himself clean once again so that he could be the man to stand in their place. What did Jesus do? He took all of the sins of humanity upon himself. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become his righteousness. What a wonderful thing. This is why he's a greater high priest. Because when it comes to these personal requirements, he could actually do them where so many else failed. He's greater than Aaron. As verse 4, it points us now to Aaron, but it also points out something clear. Jesus is greater than because Aaron made some mistakes. You can read those right there in the scriptures. Some big ones. He led them immediately into idolatry. Not really good, okay? Jesus, I mean, Moses is up there trying to get the Ten Commandments. Aaron's building golden calves. Not a good start. Jesus is greater. He's perfect in every way that they were imperfect. Remember chapter 2 of Hebrews. Chapter 2, it said, Therefore, Jesus here, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. That is, to appease their sins. We read just last week, why his credentials are just so amazing. Last week we read in verses, chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, gone behind the veil in the holy place. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Why? Because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is our high priest, greater than we could have ever imagined. For 10 years, I, I took, for, from, from 2008 to 2018, I, I took APFTs. That's Army Physical Fitness Tests. For 10 years, I took those, and I never, ever was able to get what they call the, the PT badge. Not once. Never was able to get it. I wanted it. I wanted to be the chaplain, the stud chaplain, all right? there's not a lot of stud chaplains. Sadly, a lot of them are a little chubby. Don't run fast. I didn't want to be that guy. I wanted to be the ranger chaplain, stud chaplain, and on it every single time. We had to do push-ups, sit-ups, two-mile run. I could ace the push-ups. I would smoke the two-mile run. But that core, gosh, I hate my core, y'all. The sit-ups, every time, come close, come close. Every single time, I would be in the same group with some, some super stud that would just be over there cranking out sit-ups and I would look at their body shape and go, me and you are not built the same. I have a very unfair problem when it comes to sit-ups. If you would observe this body, this torso is very long. It's very lean, it's thin, it's long. The distance I have to cover in a sit-up might as well be two miles compared to some of you little tiny torso people. You can go, weep. I gotta go. Whoa. But they don't care. they all whoop de doo. Poor chaplain. For years and years, I wish, I just wish that someone could have just done those for me. Just please, anybody, please do the sit ups piece. I'll do your run. Because I can run four miles, no problem. But I don't wanna do those stinking sit ups. I wanted somebody to stand in my place. I can't tell you how many times. I've felt this in my life. That I just wish someone who knew what in the world they were doing would stand in my place. I, I don't know if you're like me, but so often maybe there's a conversation I've got to have. Maybe some one of you has come to me with a problem and I'm like, I've never faced this before. Y'all keep coming up with new and unique problems. And I just wish I could say, Jesus, will you, will you stand in my place? And you know what's amazing? He really does that. Not just in those kinds of situations where I really need the voice of Christ to speak through me. Because the last thing you need coming to me or coming to one of your Christian brothers and sisters is for us to speak of our own wisdom, which is limited. What you need from me is that I would bring the wisdom of God for you and that we would do that for one another. And I'm so thankful that for nearly 40 years now, I've needed this same kind of stand-in-my-place thing before God and I have it. I don't always access it, but I have it. A Jesus, a high priest who has fulfilled the personal requirements and that he deals gently with me, that he sympathizes with me, that's amazing to me. Will you recognize him as this? I don't know what it is you're putting your trust in right now, where it is you're trying to go to to really get over something. Jesus is the only one. He's the only one who can stand before you and a holy God. Here's the second reason this is true. It's because he has a superior priestly pedigree. I'm going with peas here, y'all. I don't know if you're picking up on that so far. Personal requirement, priestly pedigree. I don't know if you're going to remember that. That's why I do it. If you don't, I failed. But I've tried. He has a superior priestly pedigree. This is the sense of verses 5 and 6. Now, we should be asking of the text right here, how in the world is it that Jesus is... Is in the line of priests at all? That's the question it's now trying to answer. Because guess what? Jesus isn't a Levite. The priests of the Old Testament, the chief priest is, essentially has to be a Levite. What is Jesus? He's of the house of Judah. He's not of the house of Levi. So how in the world is it that you can argue he's a high priest? Well, here's now what he's going to do. What the writer of Hebrews is going to point out to us is that there's another, there's another line that's far superior, and here's why. First of all, he's superior because verse 5 says he is the son. The rest of these people have been appointed by God. These are placeholders. You're, you're meant to foreshadow the one that I'm eventually going to send who is the son of God himself. That means he's, he's more than just an appointment. He's more than just a steward. He's the heir. So first of all, he's a greater high priest because he's God. He's the Son of God. Psalm. This, this is here him now getting back into this habit that he's had throughout the book of Hebrews of quoting the Psalms and, and many other places. Here we've got two quotes From the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, it says, The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. This is David here writing almost, uh, it's like he's gotten a glimpse of of the coming Savior here. Chapter 2 is like this. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Verse 6 tells us more. Not only is he God, which makes him a far superior priest, but also verse 6 tells us he's eternal. I don't know if you've observed this, But Aaron the high priest died a very long time ago. He's not here anymore. None of these high priests of old are here anymore. They've been gone for for millennia. And yet verse 6 tells us that this high priest, Jesus, is a priest forever. A priest forever. Quoting again Psalm 110, that the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. All right, happy days. Y'all are thinking, okay, finally, who in the world who is this melchizedek and here's the, here's the great news my friend if you're asking that question you're in really good company because the bible doesn't speak on melchizedek much at all there's a reason you're going i don't when i looked at that word i didn't even know how to pronounce it i don't know if i'm correct either uh, it's based on just my understanding of, the, of, of the, the Hebrew here, but Melchizedek I think is close to the correct, correct pronunciation. But it's only mentioned in three books and in really small spots. Genesis chapter 14, here in Psalm 110, and then here also in Hebrews. Well, it's all throughout Hebrews as we're going to see. Kind of keeps coming back to this. So yeah, I know it's a head scratcher. If you go back to Genesis 14, you'll see more about who this is. This name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. It's a great name. That's a really great name. You can name your kids this, Melchizedek. They'd be the only of their kind. I don't think they'd you could call him Mel, because I know it's complicated, but Melchizedek, go for it. He was the king of Salem. He was also the high the, the, the priest of the most high God. And Abram who becomes Abraham, pays him a tithe. So this is a significant character here. Not only that, I, this was kind of an aha for me this week. He's the king of Salem. I'd always kind of heard that term and never considered the fact that most scholars believe Salem goes on to become Jerusalem. This man comes out of Jerusalem as the king and priest of the Most High God. All of this is not meant to be ironic. This is very purposeful. Some even believe this man was the pre-incarnate Christ. I don't know about that. It's possible. But it's hard to know for sure. Here's what we know with confidence. Genesis 14, check this out. Abraham has just defeated this this Mesopotamian lord named Chedorlamir. That's a good one. Chedorlamir. And he's rescued his nephew Lot. So here it is, Genesis 14, after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. There's two things that are really significant in this story. First of all, we have a priest of the most high God here. Before there's any sort of law given, Abram's not even been made Abraham yet. Who is this guy? And, And Abraham's already giving him a tenth, giving him a tithe, and not only that, what does he bring out? I'm telling you, the Bible's, not, the Bible's not playing here with this story. He brings out bread and wine. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know how you miss that. That this priest who is a, is a unique priest in Scripture that now Jesus is being called in the line of brings out the Lord's Supper to have with Abram and blesses him. That means... <laughs> That this Jesus is not in the line of Aaron. He's in a greater line, one that goes back a little farther. He's in a greater line, one that's a priest in the priestly class that goes on forever. That's what the Bible's trying to tell us here. Before there was Aaron, there was Melchizedek. And before there was that man, there was the Son of God. And he's the one who's now come. So his pedigree is better. His credentials are better. Look at Hebrews chapter 8. We'll be there next year. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God best, best, based on better promises. Just It's all just better. If nothing else today, I hope you leave encouraged knowing that you... <laughs> You get to walk with the greater high priest, the one who's given a a much better promise, a much better covenant. Be encouraged today. 1 Timothy 2 says there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is our great mediator. He has the right credentials. I'm very thankful for that. You've probably observed this in life that there are certain jobs that you have to turn in a resume for. There are certain jobs that you have to have these letters after your name to get. Now, a lot of us aren't working those kinds of jobs, but even in church culture, there are some jobs where you've got to have Ph.D. at the end. I can't get those jobs because I ain't going back. Masters is all I'm doing, and that was a killer. I'm thankful, though, at the same time that there are people in certain fields that are highly trained, highly skilled, There's definitely, I don't want to do surgery on myself. I don't really want most of you doing surgery on me. If something, if I keel over while I'm up here preaching, call 911, please. Or maybe there's a handful of people in the room that kind of know what to do. But not just any one of you needs to be trying to help me, okay? That's what I'm saying. We need certain credentials at the end of those names. and This resume, this thing that's been turned in for eternity is... He's got, he's, got a better, he's got better letters at the end of his name. He's got six letters at the end of his name. C-H-R-I-S-T. Those are the letters we always needed. The people of old, maybe, maybe they didn't always get it. I think most of them did. that. Okay, this is an imperfect system here in the Old Testament. This high priest is just a man. But it's meant to make me look up into the Holy of Holies and say, there is going to be a Messiah. There is going to be a Christ, and he's going to fulfill all of those things that we've been just getting a glimpse of. Here's the danger now, church. He has come. And if you're hesitant on that, if you've decided to put that off, you're putting off eternal salvation. You're putting off life purpose, peace, joy. You're putting off the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. You're putting off an opportunity now to come before the holy God, the most high God, because of this priest who is priest forever. Here's the third reason. (laughs) Really, it's the one that makes it all true. It's the summarizing point, if you will, and that is because he offers a more perfect sacrifice. None of the rest of this works without this piece. Because every other sacrifice, as we mentioned, the 182 in that one week, are just IOUs. They're meant to point to the future. Now, verse 7 says this in a crazy way as we come in the closing verses of this scripture. Verse 7 says, Jesus in the days of his flesh. I would have probably written, you know, Jesus while he was on earth. This is how the author wrote it. It's meant to to capture something here that Jesus while he was in his earthly flesh, he's in a different place now. I had to look up I looked into some commentaries on this one because I was here's the question I was asking. Isn't Jesus still in the flesh? And that's true, he has a glorified body now, as we see in the scriptures, but here's what Barnes and his commentator had to say. He says, When he appeared on earth as a man, his his flesh is used here to denote human nature, especially human nature, as being susceptible to suffering. The Son of God is still united to human nature, but his human nature is now glorified. For in his case, as in all others, flesh and blood, 1 Corinthians says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But now he has a glorified body, such as redeemed as the redeemed will in the future world. So what it's saying here is this is the time period in Jesus' existence where he took on flesh. In the sense that it's susceptible to cross, crucifixion, to suffering. Now, and this is great news, the glorified body is not. This is my understanding of the end times of the book of Revelation. That all sin is dealt with. All suffering, death, pain. The tears are wiped away. This glorified body is something different. And it's not often or ever, if I, I don't think, called flesh. It's something different. Something more. Something more. And we will have this too. As Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead, we will one day follow him in that line. And so now it starts to describe, okay, in the days of his flesh, in this time period where he he was in suffering, what was he doing? He was praying. He was offering supplication. Verse 7, with what? Loud cries and tears. Now this is talking about a very specific moment in Jesus' ministry. That is, the Garden of Gethsemane is right here on display. Here he is, the Bible describes it, he, he was in such agony that he cried blood. He was in such agony that he was writhing in prayer. I, this is a certain kind of praying. That maybe you've been there where you've been in such devastation that you're on your face asking God to, to, to save you. That's what he's here asking. With prayers, with cries, with tears, he prays that God will take the cup away. That's the prayer of Gethsemane. If it's Your will, Lord, take this cup of suffering. That is to this thing I'm about to face: the, the the pain, the suffering, the the cross, the death. But maybe something even worse. That there's going to be a moment where You turn Your back on me. That's an even an even worse thing. That me and You have had perfect communion for all of eternity, and for that moment where I become the sins of mankind, You are going to look away. God, if it's your will, take that from me. But notice these very important words there in the garden scene. Not my will, but yours be done. Those are the words of Christ. That is the aspect it's speaking to here in verse 8. That although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, that's a very curious thing to say of the Messiah, that he learned obedience. I want you to understand something really important here. You shouldn't read into that the negative side of that. You shouldn't read that and go, well, does that mean that Jesus was disobedient? No. What that means is, in his humanity, he is learning through experience the next thing in the task. At this point, he had not experienced the level of suffering he was now experiencing. So he's learning in his human nature, in that moment, to say, not my will, but yours be done. He'd not yet had to do that. It's not that Christ was disobedient. He is sinless. It's that he learned this new aspect of, I'm going to walk the path that God the Father has sent me on, even if it means disaster. Because I know his plan for me is greater. This is a a phenomenal thing because... The Son of God Jesus, He he already knew this was coming. He He was sent, and this, I don't know if this is hard for you to hear, it shouldn't be. His sole purpose in coming was sacrifice. That's why He came. Because a debt needed to be paid. That all of those lambs and bulls and oxes and all of that stuff was pointing to that. With a bright shining light. We need something to solve this problem and none of us can do it so we already know Jesus already knows in his coming in his in our incarnation i had to suffer <laughs> but in those final moments this is this this amazing thing of christ's humanity with christ's divinity working together where in this moment he's i don't want to suffer in this way you know it's not wrong my friends to be in pain it's not wrong To feel a sense of why does this death have to happen? Why does this sickness have to happen? It's not wrong for you to cry in such a way that blood would run from your face before God and say, let this cup pass from me. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what Jesus is learning here. But the flip side has to follow. When you're in those moments of why me God? Why me God? Not my will but yours be done. That's what we learn. That's what we follow. That's why he becomes the perfect sacrifice because he gets his answer. He gets his answer. And I want you to just sometime this week, if you will, go read just the story of the Garden of Gethsemane and what follows. Here's what you'll notice is as soon as he feels a sense that God has answered, not my will but yours be done, and he has a sense that I've got to run the course. This is what God has set me to do. You will observe that Jesus after this prayer moment is strong. And focused and determined because he believes that God has sent him and that this is is the manner in which he is to accomplish the sacrifice. After this point, he talks in such a focused way with Pontius Pilate. He's determined to get up that hill with the cross. He's determined to get through the suffering. Even at the point of the cross, he's up there talking to other people that they might be saved. He's a determined Savior after that, so that He might become our perfect sacrifice. This is why He is our mediator. This is why we don't need to go to anyone else. That's not to say, hey, I'm going to stop talking to my wife. I'm going to stop talking to my mentors in life. That's not the point here. But when I need desperately... For God to heal me, for God to work something out, I know where to go. And it's not men, it's Christ. It's not people, it's Him. He's my mediator. He's where I go because He suffered. Verse 9 says, then He was made perfect. And then the wonderful words of verse 9 became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. That's all of us who say yes to Jesus by faith. I believe and I will walk with Him. And verse 10 says, now he's been designated by whom God himself in this holy priesthood, uh, eternal priesthood of Melchizedek. Jesus offers a more perfect sacrifice. This is what it says earlier in Hebrews chapter 2, that it was fitting that he, Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This is what's said in John chapter 10. For this reason, Jesus says, the Father loves me. Why? Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. That is a telling statement right there. There's nothing that any of these people could do to crucify me. They don't have the power to do it. I lay my life down willingly. Why? So that I can satisfy the debt that no man could ever pay. I hope that's encouraging to you today. It's such a relieving feeling to pay off a debt. You've probably experienced that just in, in a human perspective, of like, if you've been in, in deep debt somehow, and I have been, financially, maybe you feel a, a deep indebtedness to someone because of something. That you feel like you're always going to owe this person. And to kind of come out from under that is a relief. To come out from under a a heavy financial debt. It's like like you just got out of jail. I mean, it can be painful. I I can barely put food on the table. I can barely do this. Because every single month I'm paying most of my portion to a debt I owe. A lot of you have experienced that. That That is just a glimpse. A mere nugget of what Christ has done for you. Do you, do you understand the depth of your debt? This is why some old preachers used to say this. I used to hear this growing up. You got to get them lost before you can ever get them saved. Now, that sounds kind of wild, but there's a sense of truth to that because there's no way you could possibly ever understand the, the amazing sacrifice unless you first know the amazing debt you owed. Just look introspective for just, for just a moment and go, wow. I don't, have, I don't have enough paper here. I don't have enough time to really consider the amount of silly thoughts I've had. Terrible things I've done. Act, not just actions, but thoughts, attitudes, the mess. Look at the mess I'm in. And it doesn't matter how wonderful I live one day. The next day, I just wake up on the wrong side of the bed. I'm just not right today. And so I, I'm angry. I'm, I'm belittling others. I'm thinking sinful thoughts. There's, this is what it means to be human. Also what it means to be deeply in need of a Savior. This is why he's a greater high priest. He doesn't just, all right, let me take your offering and go in here and lay it at the mercy seat. No, it says he's passed through the heavens, has come before God the Father and said, I've done it. I've paid for it. Yeah, I know. We both see that. We both see what Jonathan just did. He is a mess, all right? But I love him. We love him. And I've paid for that. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry, God. Don't worry, Father. I've sent my Holy Spirit to convict him because he's he's something. He really is. He's something. And that's what you and I feel. We feel a sense of relief from the debt. We can know that Jesus has come before us as our advocate. He's got the right credentials. And he has sent his Holy Spirit now to us to go, all right, now let's work on this. Let's let's work on this mess because this isn't how I made you. This isn't what I designed you to be. Then sin and repentance, all of that stuff, is, it has nothing to do with me and my eternal salvation. That's already been dealt with. Sin, repentance, conviction, all of that is God working on me, making me a better man every day. Because he's desirous that I would look more like Christ today than I did yesterday. But I have no fear. I have no fear now because he's now the source of my eternal salvation. He is my priest Forever. Not just yesterday. Not just when I was 8 years old and got 6 years old when I got saved. Not when 14 when I said, Yes, Lord, I'll do full-time ministry. I don't know what I was thinking at 14. He held me to that bargain. Not, not just a few years ago. Not just today. Forever. He will always be my mediator between me and a Most High God. It's such a relief to know I'm not in debt to God anymore. And you don't have to be either. There's no reason to wait. There's a famous song we've sung for years. We, kinda, we have it now in some of our modern worship. It'll be like a tagline. It'll be a bridge or something, a chorus. In 1876, there was a pastor named Robert Lowry who wrote a hymn about this very thing, this priestly perfect sacrifice of Christ. He offered not the blood of animals, not the sacrifices of the Old Testament, but his very own precious blood for our sins. And you're very familiar with this song. It goes, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus nothing but the blood of Jesus this is the position we are in and it's a good one that we now have a high priest who loves us so much that he would stand in our place will you recognize him as this the only one who fulfills God's personal requirements has the right pedigree but also is the perfect sacrifice for you I pray today you would be encouraged by that, challenged by that, knowing I don't need to go here and there constantly searching for answers. The Word of God made flesh, the incarnate Christ who became my sacrifice, he is my mediator. So if you have a habit, like I often do, I have a habit sometimes of I'm, I'm gonna call, I might call my dad. He's one of my mentors. I'm, I'm gonna talk to my wife, I'm gonna air this stuff out. I, I, I might talk to some of you. Like, I'm thinking this, I'm doing this. If I ever call one of you, I want you to ask me this question first. Have you talked to Jesus yet? If you're talking to me about this, you hadn't talked to Jesus about it yet, we got a big problem. You hear what I'm saying? He's my He's my mediator. He's first, He's priority one. All right, I'm, I'm kind of getting a sense that God's He's kind of giving me the option here. I don't know. Then, then maybe I'll start going, because iron sharpens iron. There's there's wisdom in the company of many. There's scriptures to support this too. But he's my priority one. He's the only one who mediates on my behalf and loves me in a way that no one else can. Let's pray now together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus for us. That we were, we were just, we were a mess of a people. We, we had a lot of different in, intercessors throughout our history. We had all these really failed examples of, of, of priests. Failed examples of modern pastors, and I am one. I'm not a sinless man. I can't stand in in the place. I can't stand in the gap. I'm thankful, Lord God, I'm thankful that you sent your son Jesus to be the true mediator for us. We could not do that part. We could not offer a a holy sacrifice that was pleasing to you. That was enough because everything we do has has flaw in its nature. But God, you sent your son for us that we could be healed, that we could be saved. And more than that, that we could have a a relationship. You didn't merely love us enough to set us free. You love us a whole lot more than that. That you want a personal relationship with us day to day, moment by moment. You're not interested in just one and done. All right, I've set this guy free. No, you set us free and take us by the hand and say, all right, let me show you where we're going. Let me take you on a journey. I'm so thankful, God, that that's who you really are. You're you're more than just a a, a warden. You're, You're more than just someone who sets prisoners free. You're a holy father. You're a dear friend. You're like a brother. You are so much more. I'm thankful, God, that not only did you set me free from my debt, but you've asked me to go on this journey. God, I'm praying for your people right now. Perhaps someone has come today, and maybe they've heard some of this news before. Maybe they've heard about this Jesus before. But for whatever reason, they've not made him, not made you, their mediator, their Savior. For whatever reason, they've just kind of said, "Ah, I'll push that to the side. I pray today, Lord, you're stirring their heart that they wouldn't put that off even for another moment. If that's you, my friend, you've come today and you're understanding this maybe clearly for the first time that Jesus has set you free from your debt and wants to walk through life with you, that wants a personal relationship with you, if that's you, pray along with me. As Romans 10 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. If that's you, pray with me. Jesus, I believe that you are Lord of my life. You're in charge. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. That you are now the perfect sacrifice. And Jesus, I'm thankful. I'm thankful you you paid the debt I couldn't pay. That you've healed me in the very place I could not get any help. And God, I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. So I believe in the cross and the resurrection. And that gives me such hope. And Jesus, I'm, I'm asking now, You say you want this relationship with me. I'm yours. My yes is on the table. I ask you now, Lord Jesus, would you guide my steps? Would you walk me through this life and show me where you would have me go? Lead me. Lead me as you've designed me. Dear friend, welcome to the family of God if you prayed that with me. And we're praying a similar prayer right there with you. That we wouldn't look anywhere else before you, God. God that we wouldn't look anywhere else before you, that you are our mediator, you are our high priest, that when, when things are really rough or when things are really great, we would come to you first. And God, that you would guide us, guide our steps, that we would never get tired of this perfect sacrifice, never get tired, never get over the fact that you've paid our great debt and that you love us enough to walk with us, that the God of the universe wants a personal relationship with me. Thank you for who you are. Help us now, your church, to really model that well. That we would be a people who make a very serious effort to follow Jesus. That we would be the kind of people who are modeling this wonderful love of Christ to the fallen world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.